Well, it's a new banner. It's a new show. Actually, it's an old show being revived. Welcome to this week's episode of Agile for Humans. It's been a long time since we've been able to say that, Todd. Joining us this week, of course, it's Todd Miller and I from Agile for Humans. Chris Lucian and Austin Chadwick from the Mob Mentality Show. The Mad Mobbers are here to uh, talk about mob programming and scrum with us. So really happy that Austin and Chris could join us. Uh, We had a really good conversation. I'm not sure the timings of the releases, but we joined uh, Austin and Chris on the Mob Mentality Show and had a great time talking with them. And we thought, you know what? Why not do a crossover? Have them come over to Agile for Humans. We'll cross post everything so that uh, the Mob Mentality audience can check out Agile for Humans. The Agile for Humans audience can check out Mob Mentality and hopefully everyone plays nice. Everyone behave. Yeah. And uh, yeah, with some new people, some new friends, and we'll get that going. So first of all, guys, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Great to be here. Super excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're just going to pick up our conversation from when you had us on. And I, I know we were, we were talking about, you know, does does mob programming replace Scrum? Does uh, what do some of these things look like? And of course, uh, it. I don't think we landed on it replaces it, but I think it looks a lot different. I think that was kind of where we went. But uh, curious where you guys would like to pick this up at. Yeah, maybe one thing that comes to mind uh, that I think we uh, brought up at the end of the last time we had a recorded conversation together was um, this idea of selecting certain stories for mobbing, you know, maybe in something like sprint planning uh, and other stories for not mobbing, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I think that might be rich uh, place to, to take off here. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think uh, maybe for me, the first thing that comes to mind is what would qualify a story to not be mobbed um, or to be mobbed? Yeah. I'm just wondering if um, this is, so I, I've been, I've been excited to talk about this because <laughs> <laughs> I've got so many things going through my head with this. Um, and I, I wonder, uh, so it's been my experience that teams that, that, that are in sprint planning that try to design or try to decide too much stuff ahead of time, end up falling in love with their plan and trying to execute, even if it's a one-week sprint, executing on a plan that ends up not bearing any fruit. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the way we kind of ended it was like, when you're in sprint planning, how do you know which PBIs that you're going to mob? And my thought would be, we we may or may not. It de- it depends, right? They're $250 an hour now. It depends. That's where I'm going to kick it. A lot of it's going to come down to whether or not the the mob, which I would call the developers, whether or not they decide to pull it in. And so a lot of that's going to go back to some sense of refinement. Has the has the mob been looking at stories or product backlog items, whichever terminology you want to use, that are coming up? I mean, are we in a mob programming sense? Do we ever kind of break out of the 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 present? Right. The present would be the current sprints work and kind of look at the future, which could be things on the product backlog. Is there are opportunities built in to do that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, maybe just speaking specifically about our environment, um, we we do pure decisions based on cost of delay. So so like if if the product owner, you know, is saying, hey, look, this will be really valuable to customers and. And in the meantime, you know, the team is on board with that. Maybe there's very few uh, known unknowns to the thing that needs to be executed on. Uh, then it'll just be picked up 
mobbed, released, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, in that sense, the, the forward looking is is can always be changed, right? Right. Um, and so we're not specifically planning out a number of things to do. We're just saying, like, hey, let's just get this one thing accomplished, get it out to the users. Um, sometimes uh, they're batched, maybe for like a trade show or something along those lines, you know, feature flag them off, but keep them in production, that sort of thing. But um, I think in general, we just, we, we pick up the things that are most important to customers and, and get them out there uh, as quickly as we can with high quality and, and things like that. So that's a little bit of how it happens for us. So um, what I'm hearing there, and Todd, maybe you picked up on this too, is that there, there needs to be some serious skills in your product management uh, the product owner really needs to understand uh, domain, what they're trying to accomplish, have that work break broken down so that a mob could even execute on it. I mean, it sounds like there's got to be a lot of discipline in that product owner um, in that product owner accountability uh, to even be able to to be in that position to pull that work in. Does that sound right? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, for no, me. No, 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 you go. No, you, yeah, no, you go. You, you, you. Yeah. Um, so for me, it basically, I think that gets, gets blurrier and blurrier the, the longer I've been mobbing in the sense that those skills, you know, so uh, mobbing where you have front end, back end, all the different technical skills, right? You know, those start to blur from, you know, being T-shaped to more M-shaped type people. And I think the same thing right. starts happening from a product perspective where uh, the there's coaches or people with product mindsets within the mob as well. They've g- grown those skills. And so, uh, you know, so for example, like a very specific example that came up recently was uh, a product owner, basically a product person came just like, I have this vision. This is an innovation for whatever industry we're working in. I have no idea to break it down. I have no idea, you know, and so it, what it was really cool about is it turned into a very collective product uh, planning type scenario where we took this vision, we understood the problem statement, understood the problem of the customers together, we diagrammed together with the product person, and then we broke down several options like looking for a bargain hunt uh, that, you know, most value for the least amount of work kind of thing. And uh, we came together and we've been executing on that. Um, and so I think Yes, it is great to have a very skilled product person, whether that's, you know, traditional uh, style product uh, management or someone who's really trendy and who's got like all the A-B testing and analytics and all that stuff. Uh, But all from what I've seen, usually in a mob, there's someone who can facilitate that discussion, even for someone who just comes raw with a vision or raw with feedback and, um, you know, can kind of coach that in. So it's, 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 it depends, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was also in a meeting uh, yesterday, actually, and it was, you know, things out of the product owner's mouth that I, I think, you know, years later, years after talking to the mob that they've been working with, would say things like, okay, well, what's the next vertical slice that we can work on? Um, but in the past, it was, it was very much like, this is my grand vision, and, and it became kind of more of a negotiation. Um, and so I, I think it's just people leaning on each other to to learn together iteratively right so so today our product owners uh more often than not speak about vertical slices and um and the the short-term easy win versus like the long-term vision and and, um and also feature flagging is part of the normal vocabulary but these were all terms that were were just not there years ago um 
And, uh, and and even then, like the team wasn't feature flagging. And, uh, and when they started, then it, it started to work its way into the vocabulary all the way out to the business. Um, but it was it was really I mean, it's everything's kind of iterative and evolution like I think we all like that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, that, that's a little bit of how those things come into the backlog. So, so it's it's what's the small thing that we can do that has that has a high uh, cost of delay. Let's get that in there. And if it's really big, how, how can we break it up? I'm interested in from your vantage point, and I'm sure this happens. I mean, this is the the this is a, a signifies complex work, right? Yeah. When you think that small thing uh, that is going to be a quick win, when you start working on it and discover that it's not a quick win, mm-hmm. that it is right. I mean, it, this happens to all of us all the time, right? This is yeah. this is this signifies complex work. So, from your vantage point in your situation, context of your situation, maybe walk us through when that happens or 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 like what indicators who do you trigger what conversations do you have because that to me right to piggyback on your product management that, that becomes then a product management decision do we keep going or do we stop oh yeah right so i'm, I'm curious in your environment how that how that kind of thing works yeah maybe i'll start with the story and then chris you can give better terminology than i'm able to say <laughs> but uh for me typically what i like to do um is just be delivering daily on whatever we're working on. Right. And so, um, you know, so something that comes to mind is like, uh, uh, home automation voice command thing. Right. You know, it's like, Oh, this, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a known unknown area. Right. And there's probably unknowns and unknowns lurking in there that we don't know about. And so, you know, we'll be like, okay, well we can do a budgeted experiment of, uh, you know, this mob or this team for a while. And we'll tell you every day how it's going. So like, Day one might be like, hey, we researched and we found out where some of the stuff are. And then day two or three, we start to build it. And then day four, it's like, hey, we have a reverse voice command in here. Come back. You know what I mean? And it's just like saying something really simple. Mm-hmm. And then day five, we're like, oh, we discovered this big unknown. And then we'll like draw it out on a diagram and say like, here's this area we have to go explore. Do we still have the green light to keep exploring the solution? Mm-hmm. You know, and I've been in cases where... Uh, they uh, we ran an experiment for a week or so, and then they killed it and said, like, this is no longer worth the investment. You know, there's something else to, to go chase over here. And there's been other times where they're like, I see you're making progress. I can see, you know, that you you say something out loud and it goes and then talks to something in the uh, IoT world and the response comes back. This can really happen and this really works. You've discovered enough. Keep going. You know, so it's kind of more of a day by day discovery, but very transparent in that it's not like hey, we're going to go over here for a while and then a month we'll let you know how feasible it is. Or, you know, it's let's show you every day, every little piece we're working on, you know. So I don't know, Chris, how about you? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just add to that. The, um, you know, just broadcasting that information in general is really important. Um, and then and then typically, you know, the initial conversation is just that. It's knowns, known unknowns, and and there are there are multiple types of known unknowns for us as well. So there's there's known unknowns. Uh, so one known unknown is we know somebody else has done it, but we've never done it. And then there's a known unknown of we know that uh, we've never done it and no one else has ever done it. And then the other known unknown is a third party API. We know our team works a certain way, but we don't know anything about the API provider and how they work. And so those things are kind of outlined and mapped out. And so, so when we're talking about kind of getting into something, those are, those are things that we provide to a product owner. And then with the obvious, like, we know we have unknown unknowns. 
um, and we'll discover those as we go. And maybe we're lucky and none of them crop, crop up, but it's always a possibility. So when that unknown unknown hits, then we update the map of everything. Um, Austin's very fond of uh, this visual Kanban cost concept that uh, is extremely visual. It's kind of like a draw.io slash Visio diagram of everything that needs to be done. And then a bunch of new things just popped up on the radar of known uh, new known unknowns that were previously unknown unknowns. And um, that's the that, that's where we we talk about that, how, how it gets negotiated through. Um, and so then it becomes kind of a research spike at that point. Um, and then if we needed to fund something even longer uh, than a research spike, uh, then um, then that can kind of bubble up the chain for additional funding. But usually like one to two weeks of, of kind of deep research is, is just kind of an automatic given when we reach uh, points like that. Yeah, you mentioned the word Kanban because Ryan, here's where I, this is exactly where my brain went in the beginning. <laughs> of the last conversation is that during sprint planning, oftentimes we don't know what we don't know. So I was wondering if perhaps instead of out of the gate if, if for teams that aren't mobbing full time, perhaps out of the gate, something like work item age might give us an indicator and a trigger when it may be time to hop, start mobbing on something. I, I don't know the answer. I'm just thinking yeah. that that could potentially be something that would trigger a conversation that is, should we mob now? Yeah. Yeah. And in, and one thing that I'll say right out the bat on that is, uh, and I think I can speak for you, Chris, but feel free to correct me afterwards on this one. We're big believers in uh, the team decides, right? So free choice in that, you know, it's not like, hey, you know, me as the coach or me as the scrum master decided you guys are going to mob this one or whatever, right? And so it's always a choice at any time. So it's, uh, you know, like in the open space conferences, uh, the law of two feet, um, and I'm forgetting some of the other laws, but basically if you're, not learning or contributing, you can, you know, move away from the mob or, you know, do something on your own or whatever. And so, um, but uh, because of the way we hire and things like that, we seem to attract a lot of people who want to mob almost all the time. <laughs> and so our interview process is mob programming and all that. And so what tends to happen a lot is everything gets mobbed. And so I know that's a wild, crazy experiment um, that most people don't operate that way. Um, but because of the type of people that work where we do, everything gets mobbed and it's been really interesting to do that and see the the side effects and the side effects and the side effects on should this have been mobbed or not uh, given that we did mob everything um, and so uh, I have more there but that maybe that's the start so, of the answer Austin I'm always I'm always curious about that discussion and has yeah. anyone in, within the the organization that you're working with has anyone ever looked at the cost of the mob versus the value delivered and just completely dispelled the myth that mobbing is way too expensive like is that has that math been done yeah, yeah. i mean so I'll, I'll speak to this um <laughs> so uh you know I, i've had very in-depth conversations at the executive level uh about mobbing versus not mobbing and and things along those lines and uh you know costs have been outlined uh ROI um, has been done. Obviously, I'm not going to dive into numbers, yeah. but um, but yeah, there, there's definitely a, a very distinct cost and benefit analysis that occurs. Um, and because, you know, obviously, uh, so, you know, the story, I, I think a lot of people don't know the story about when we started. So um, it, kind of in a very succinct version of the last 10 years, uh, we started... Um, 
only on internal projects. And then five years later, there was an external consultant that came through, um, you know, that didn't know anyone uh, from any of the software teams because there was multiple software teams. They evaluated the practices of all the different software teams and then recommended heavily that we expand uh, what we were doing, which part of which was mobbing. Um, that external consultant was basically saying, like, this is the way that you should be doing software. They're, they're, they're doing so many of the right things and so few of the wrong ones. And um, and so so that kind of keyed a, you know, at that five year mark, it, it went from five people mobbing to 27 people mobbing. And, and we we uh, essentially took over external product development as well. Um, and so over that over that five, that next five years, it was you know, okay, executives have this like right in their face, like we're hiring a bunch of people to be mobbing on products. Um, and so, so uh, the cost and benefit analysis, everything uh, was thoroughly scrutinized at that point. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I've written some blogs on, on some of that, um, of the discussion uh, on loose points, not really diving into numbers or anything like that. But, right. um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that, it's just been, it has been very visible and, and we've been able to communicate that um, throughout the organization. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, my guess. So Ryan, I think that's a really good question because I can, I, I think I, we get this question about pair programming. Oh, yeah. right? And I've heard that about pair programming, right? Like, what are you two doing in there? You're wasting money. Mm. Right. So like that kind of thing, let alone, you know, an executive unaccustomed to working in an uh, agile environment, walking past the room, seeing, you know, um, eight fairly well-paid people sitting in a room working together. Right. Um, So, but that's the right question, right? Any any CFO worth his or her value uh, to a company is going to walk by that room and say, how is what are we yeah. getting for that investment? Right. That's, that's mm-hmm. a perfectly valid question. Right. And, and I, I would wager, you know, everybody try this at home, write out the cost of all the rework happening in your organization. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, and then do that for three months or something like that. Then for the next three months, only pair program. And then for the next three months, only mob program. And then, and then chart how much rework you have. Uh, very often, I, and, and I, I hear this story a lot. I don't think it's just our organization, but uh, very often I hear that the the bug count um, specifically goes way down, but better architectural decisions are made and better abstractions in the code are made. Mm-hmm. And so you have this cascading effect of like, oh, the mob is taking up four people's time, but it's saving seven people's time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you know, and and especially in the case of ping pong bugs, I think is a really important one, and and this like works it itself into the financial justification because I think ping pong bugs, um, I, I would uh, I would guess are the most expensive thing that you can you can encounter. It's this idea that you know programmer A writes something and then and then and then pushes it to production and it works. Programmer B. Uh, creates uh, an abstraction based off of a dependency of what programmer A wrote and then derives that in a second feature and and then checks that in and goes into production and and maybe it works. And then programmer C goes in and makes a modification and causes a bug um, in the dependency and, mm-hmm. and so has created, so feature one now has a bug, feature two now has a new feature. So programmer A 
goes back and, and fixes that bug, correcting the dependency and breaking feature two, right? And so then programmer B goes in and fixes that bug, and then it goes in and creates a, a feature. So how long do you think that process would, would take for that bug to pop up in one and then pop up in the other? And then finally, for the team to retrospect and find out what happened. I, I think that is a really common occurrence. And, um, and you know, the, the irony is A, B, and C are all sitting next to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> well, if they all worked on it together, they wouldn't, yeah. they wouldn't have had that expense. Right? And so, Todd, what I'm thinking based off that question is what if you did an EBM experiment? Mm-hmm. Evidence-based management, right? So for those of you out there that aren't, are not aware, uh, Scrum.org has a framework of measurements and and it's it basically looks at the current value you're delivering, the the un, unrealized value that you could be delivering, your ability to innovate, and your time to market. And I think if you were to baseline those four areas before and after a mobbing experiment, you'd probably see ability to innovate and time to market with a side effect of current value increase if done well. And if you don't see that, maybe that's a sign that that experiment didn't work, right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe EBM is a good framework to use to prove the efficacy of, of that practice. Yeah. I also think that the way that we're talking about this is we're, when that person, that CFO walks past in the room, this is the way we talk about it, right? We don't, we don't talk, we don't say, oh, we're mobbing. Right, right. <laughs> we don't say, oh, we're, we're all here. We don't say feature flags. We don't say sprints. We don't say daily scrums. We don't say any of this stuff. Risk reduction. Right. right. Um, yep. uh, rework reduction. Illities, um, sustainability, scalability. Right. You know, we use words that they care about. And yep. so I feel like we fall into this agile trap. Right. Ryan, we talk about it being the bubble, this agile bubble where we think everybody knows all the same language we do, that we know yeah. and they don't care. But I, but I also think it's a Moneyball argument. Right. If, if you haven't seen the movie Moneyball, I, it's in my top five. I love Moneyball. And he's sitting in a room with Brad Pitt is playing Billy Bean, the, the general manager of the Oakland A's. And, and he's sitting in there with scouts and he's like, guys, you're looking for batting average and whether or not they have the right look. And we are paying for runs. <laughs> I don't care if it's a walk. I don't care if it's a steal. I don't care if it's a home run or a, a bunch of singles. We need people who get on base because we're buying runs. And so yeah. it doesn't matter to me how we get there. I need to see something that proves we're paying for runs. And I think that's such a wonderful, wonderful argument for the way that, first of all, it's an argument for self-managing teams, right? The team decides how best to work. And as long as they're producing the runs, that's not a great sentence, um, <laughs> then, then, then you should be happy, right? Yeah. Uh, and so whether that's pairing, mobbing, individual work, a combination of all three, you know, or, or anything in between, what are we actually paying for? And then are we getting it? And I, and I think that framing Todd's right throughout the jargon. Like if you walk into your, it's like when we walk into a CEO's office, Todd, and we start talking about a scrum master, like that just, that is like a poison pill to a conversation. They're like, what the heck is a scrum master? And are you like trying to uh, convert me to some cult? Like they they start, I mean, they get nervous. And so, yeah, I think the framing, the numbers, the frameworks to measure some money balls, some money ball math, and and maybe it makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. you're you're trying you're, you're trying not to produce those bugs, and you're trying to wor- produce working software in production, right? Yep. 
Um, but there's other things too, right? So, so bringing up new developers is a lot easier. The, the, the kind of experimentation happens naturally, but silos and risks. Like, so, so what's the average turnover rate for a software team? It's about 20%, right? I think if you Googled that right now, you'd probably find 20%. So, so how do you properly onboard and offboard people with, 20, with persistent 20% turnover, like as well, an industry? And in, in an industry where the average tenure of a person is now two to three years. Yes. And yeah. that's it. Like, and actually the last startup that I worked at orientation was we expect you to be here two years and then you're gone. And so how do we make that two years amazing for you? And I thought, wow, that is insane transparency and a lot of honesty. Yes. And, and in a mob situation, the, the, the on-ramp and the off-ramp uh, seems pretty smooth. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in in the kind of going back to your measurement and delivery and value, like I love and invite as many people as possible to measure and share your results. That's great. Um, you know, I, I can share my experiences um, and where I went to, you know, teams swimming in bugs, delivering uh, roughly, you know, at a decent cadence to showing up in a place that, you know, it's not perfect. We don't have utopia. We have problems. We have, you know, issues like everyone else. But I showed up. I'm mobbing in a language I've never worked in in 15 years and I contribute. I learn, we deliver to production that day and the bug counts are way lower. You know what I mean? It's like near zero. Um, And so, and so what I've seen is that, and so to that onboarding piece, you know, I'm contributing on day one in a language I haven't worked in in 15 years, you know? And so, and I've just seen that happen so often. Um, And then also, you know, to what you were saying, Todd, about, who, you know, don't worry about mobbing. Don't worry about all the jargon and all that stuff is what I've seen is when people are delivering often with high value and high quality, um, the, the questions start to go away and they're oh, just yeah. like, oh, this team's delivering, you know, all the questions about reaching in and figuring out how you're doing it go away because they're just happy and excited. Uh, with well, the conversation yeah. it shifts to instead of uh, the, the minutia of, of your current practices, the conversation always shifts to what's ne- what's possible. Right. What's next? And that's such a when you turn that corner, you know that your your stakeholders are incredibly pleased. You're doing something well. Um, and that's pretty awesome. What I think about too with this practice is that if we were to look at your typical day, mm-hmm. right? I would imagine there's like a it's a huge flow state of a of a mob working together. But we could probably go in and put these dotted lines where, oh, they got together and and they figured out some collaboration. Oh, that's that looks like a daily scrum. And start stitching that together, and 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 I feel like you're doing the things that are described in the guide, but it, you're doing it in like this flow state. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, when we kind of made this cheeky title for the last show, like does you know mob programming replace Scrum? Of course, we don't believe that, but it, it seems like the essence of empiricism, right? You're continually inspecting and adapting not only your practices but your work. You're shipping frequently, which means you're getting that feedback. You have an increment. Uh, and it just sounds like a one-day sprint with some really cool flow mixed in, and I, I, I think it, I think it's fully compatible. Like some people get all up in arms that that's not Scrum. It's like they're winning, they're <laughs> they're following the principles, the values are present, empiricism is alive and well. There's even some Kanban mixed in, which Todd and I love. What's your problem? Like why yeah. why would you complain here? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'll just say like um, the 
a lot of this is just retrospectives and learning, right? And and there there's there's plenty from Scrum and plenty from other practices, and and it's all kind of kind of mixed in. But um, the iterative nature and the uh, the the retrospectives bring back new information, and then seeking out uh, external influences to then t- help fuel that um, that then produces right like so. So a team that's behaving the same way they did 15 years ago, weathering the storm across you know multi across decades even, um, they're they're you know possibly in a state of of complacency, right? And so so if your process is not evolving, then then what should it be right? And yeah. and I think that that like is like kind of the crux of the question. Um, well, and, and I think the way that you behave within the framework, like within the Scrum framework, should be continually changing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the practices, there's there's so much space in between what Scrum calls for that if the way that you're you're using Scrum, or I would imagine even if the way you're mobbing, if it's the same a year, a month later, yeah. well, then what have you learned? Like, mm-hmm. were, were you perfect on day one? No, like that's not happening. So I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, oh, people really get wrapped around the axle on this one that, well, that's not pure scrum or that's a, prove it. Like, what you are know, you talking about? Yeah. You know, this is making me think of like, like, uh, so tell me, tell me you're crazy with this, but let's say that we're all traveling to the same place and we're from the same place in, in all sincerity. What sense does it, make for us to all get in separate cars and drive there. Yeah. So I think that that kind of validates from a really abstract way um, why mobbing might be a, a great option. And I think that I, I think it's really important for us to give some people some of those things for to justify it. Austin, I really like what you said, because you're, you're talking about um, I think that if we're in a situation where we have to justify it, that it's probably really important that we earned the trust of our organization. There's obviously lack of trust there. Um, Brian and I universally believe that there is absolutely a single way to earn trust and that's deliver. If you're, I have never been in a circumstance with a software development team that is delivering and delivering high quality and stuff that a customer wants where, where, where there was not trust. Generally you hear in the halls, just leave that team go. Yeah. <laughs> don't mess don't don't tap the glass leave them alone <laughs> right right yeah and so if we if we're at the point where people are saying leave that team go why were why shouldn't we try to all be in the same car well yeah. and, and what i hear too todd and, and something that we teach quite a bit about like dan pink's work is a big part of our courses so autonomy mastery and purpose so what i hear in a mob is we're all working together in a way that we're choosing you have the autonomy to do that mastery like we're all working together to get better like how quickly have you seen and and this is maybe a maybe this is a hard question to answer i'm not sure Uh, you take a more senior person and and a newer person and you put them in the mob how quickly do you see that 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 newer person level up compared to them being alone in a cubicle right i can i can give an example and then maybe chris you can give an example or something you got too but um Recently, so um, yeah, I was in a situation where it was a, a mob of three, and then someone new to the team came, and then um, months later, I needed to move teams, and uh, 
This person, uh, this, there's two examples that come to mind, but the first one that comes to mind, this person was new to software development, new to agile, new to facilitation, new to everything. And uh, we were together uh, for, I think it was about four to six months. And then as I walked away, I heard, I jumped to another team. I heard story after story of how this person picked up the habits that me and the other person were doing with facilitating product owner discussions, facilitating retrospective, mini retrospectives throughout the day, facilitating cleaner code. And this person just took to it immediately. And it's not that fast for everybody, but I've definitely seen, uh, you know, everyone has their own acclimation or learning curve uh, rate, but I've seen that pattern a few times where it's pretty quick. And then sometimes for some people, it's like a a year or more before they pick on some of those habits. Uh, I don't don't know, but how about you, Chris? Yeah, um, I'll just, uh, maybe I'll talk about our internship program. Um, We we had somebody visiting uh, a a friend, Jason Wyman, and um, and he, he was visiting, he's a senior level developer. And I was like, oh, just go and like pick one of the mobs. And this was kind of when we were all co-located and everything. And so I was like, oh, just go pick one of the mobs and go sit down and, and have some fun. And so uh, he didn't realize that he joined the interns mob. And so uh, so what was really funny was he, he came out of that and was like, man, they're unit testing and, and doing this and doing that. Uh, this is like really great. Like, you know, what, uh, what, what, um, you know, like what part of what team or what kind of are they working on? Because he kind of just saw the code that they were working on. And I was like, oh, those are the interns. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and so it was just really funny. You know, so so people that are still in college that don't learn about unit testing, don't learn about a lot of stuff um, from mobbing, you know, maybe a few hours a day with a really senior person, a, a very junior level mob just like took off with a lot of these practices. So that, that's one of them. But I think just in general, the like, um, kind of going and talking about onboarding and offboarding. So, so a, a brand new associate developer getting into the team will be able to, from time to time, voice things that will be improvements to the code um, very quickly, and then that just accelerates over time. And then offboarding, um, very similar to what Austin was saying, but like even if somebody gives like a couple weeks notice and then is gone soon, it, it, it is very much a process of like, hey, we really enjoyed our time, you know, mobbing together, and you know have fun at your next job. It's not like, oh my God, download your brain into this document before you leave. Um, And so I think both scenarios, uh, we just, we see see some really cool stuff, but the intern mob I think was particularly funny. So Um, I'm interested. I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a sinister angle on this. (laughs) Yeah. Is it glaringly obvious when someone needs to be fired? How's Uh, that work? Yeah. Okay. So, so um, I'll I'll dig into it a little bit because I think this questions come up a lot. Um, So, I think that uh, that there are people that struggle, but they still make progress. And and I think that that uh, is like not the point at which you let them go. I, I think I know there's a lot of people that would disagree with me, um, but uh, I do think that if it's something that that um, that it's it's learned and repeated back, but then forgotten later, where there's there's actual noticeable backward movement. Um, that becomes really, really obvious. And that's, that's a situation, um, where, yeah, it does, it does happen. Uh, and there are, uh, situations where, where people have realized that things are super exposed and decided to either leave, leave themselves, uh, you know, on their own, um, or, you know, discussions of it kind of led to like, Hey, you know, how do we learn this, this one isolated thing and move forward? Um, but, you know, so I, I think that the, the rate at which somebody learns either forward or backward is extremely visible in a mob. 
and um, and people can help build that person up and and work with it. And I think that's the default that should be there. It, you know, kind of a culture of mentorship. Um, and if there's consistent backward movement, then then it's obvious to everyone that it's not a right fit, right? You know, it's interesting because it wasn't called mobbing then. The reason why I asked that is because that very scenario I was in, it wasn't called mobbing then. It was just a bunch of people sitting in a room coding together and working on a problem, right? Um, and and I think it became that, that I was in that, let's just say I was in that situation. All right. So I asked that and I was just curious if you, like, since you all mob full time, right? Um, like if it's like immediately you have a new person and we've all done that, right? Like, unfortunately, I'm sure you've all been in circumstances where it's like budget crunch. We need to hire somebody or this is going to be pooled. And maybe you don't take the time or do the due diligence than hiring the right person, right? And you bring that person in and after six months of trying really hard, it's making everything go backwards, right? And, yeah. and so I, I was just curious. I, I'm sh that happens in every single environment, right? No matter how much we do our due diligence. And I, I wanted to hear that I, other people have experienced that. I, I think it is easier to hide, though, outside of a mob. Like, it, yeah. it's ultimate transparency, right? And uh, so we got to be careful there, too. The last part of Pink's work is purpose. Yeah. And if you're in a mob and you don't understand why you're there, ugh, that that's tough. I mean, the the alignment's got to be pretty strong, but uh, it's an interesting question, right? You know, the time to hire, the time to fire, how all that works, and how you know, especially mob programming within a Scrum environment, especially when you're doing like those hyper retrospectives and you're continually thinking about the decisions that are being made. And I'd imagine the hero coder, like the mythical hero. I mean, actually, they're not mythical. I've run into them from time to time. Um, they probably don't really like this too much either, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I think the same patterns and anti-patterns can happen in a mob. It just uh, it, it some are some anti-patterns are much more difficult, um, <laughs> and some some are actually kind of easier in some ways. And so, like you know, in my experience, um, ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, the continuous retrospection and everyone lifting each other up, or just radical candor, like, hey you know, I, I, I haven't heard your voice in the mob for a while, you know, what's going on, you know, that kind of stuff, you work through it pretty quickly. And it's like Chris is talking about, it's lifting each other up um, towards that purpose you're talking about, Ryan. But there are cases where uh, the resolution doesn't come and it requires more, uh, something more severe. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, so certain anti-patterns are harder. You, you, like, if, like if people were having an interpersonal issue over a code review, you know what I mean? Have you ever seen that code review where, you know, they're basically fighting, but over text in a code review? <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that interpersonal discomfort will still happen, but it'll happen among friends and people who can help facilitate discussion and make it go better. Um, the dominant programmer can still happen, but if there's not retrospectives and things to put it in check, you could just have someone who dominates a mob, right? But what I've seen is it rarely happens just because of the built-in continuous retrospective and kind of itinerant coaching that Chris will do. So he'll come around and join a mob for a while or whatever, right? And so um, I think it, uh, yeah. So I think with good facilitation, good coaching, it's 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 really hard to happen, but it, but it can. And in some ways it's more difficult, right? It's easier to be upset and be passive aggressive over an email or a code review message that's much harder to deal with face-to-face -face in a mob, right? Yeah. And so it's harder, but if people are coming into it with good faith, you work through it way faster and come and come out better at the other end. So, yeah. so how has 
I mean, the, the mobbing practices in the time of COVID have certainly had to, to advance. Um, what, what kind of changes have you had to implement? I'm sure there's some tooling changes. There's some things that you've had to do. Like, what does it look like in a, in a virtual work from home? I, I mean, I'm assuming you guys are in your homes. Um, what does it look like now that COVID is, is, I mean, let's face it, 2022 is not looking much different than 2021. <laughs> At least it's not 2020, right? And so yeah. um, how has that changed? Like, what are, this, what are some of the tools that you found that have been helpful? What are some of the practices you've had to implement? How have your working agreements changed? You know, is there anything there that you can share without being too proprietary? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'll just say, you know, when when our company kind of said, hey, everybody go home and we're going to work from home now, uh, it was it was basically, OK, you know, mad dash for tools. And then we found things like AnyDesk and TeamViewer. And then we had tried it out before because we had a few, you know, one offs where like one developer needed to be remote for something for some time based on personal stuff. And um, and so we, we kind of took the learnings from those and, and we we kind of created a tool chain, so to speak. So, you know, a team viewer or any desk plus um, uh, Microsoft uh, Teams with um, there's the ability to create a video chat inside of a channel inside Microsoft Teams. And it actually has a camera and lists the people in there. Cool. So now you can walk around the office, quote unquote, by just saying, I'm going to join this or I'm going to join that or I'm going to, you know. And so you can drop in on people. Um you know, in our in our environment, we had quite a bit of sound abatement equipment that was meant to reduce the amount the noise level, and that became no longer necessary. So people that were struggling with sound uh, felt like the environment was much better online. Um, and then, uh, and so then we kind of you know shifted a lot to uh, a lot more to cloud resources versus on prem. Although some of our stuff is still um, on prem that uh, for doing our work and. Uh, and a lot of it is just remoted into, and then and then gradually, um, I, I think that it just you know a lot of the work became much more um, cloud centric, and uh, and you know we do pretty well that way. Um, I think that uh, as far as the working agreements go, um, you know things remote specific have cropped up here and there, uh, but you know, different things for different teams based on uh, camera use and, and, and you know, uh, amount of engagement and whether or not you stay in a room if you're not actually there and things like that. Um, but that's all kind of individual by mob uh, decision making. So I don't know, Austin, if you have more to say to that. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you covered a lot of it really well. I mean, one of the major shifts was the pranks, you know, so we used to like have Nerf friends that you fired each other, throw the bullets over the wall. And, you know, yeah. so now we had to shift to more like, oh, I'm frozen kind of pranks and stuff. But uh, <laughs> one of the first things I noticed is when we used to push code, uh, the mob station would play music, uh, the push it song. Um, and uh, <laughs> but it would no longer play for us because it was in the remote machine that we used to mob in. And I always just pictured like some like security guard walking around all of a sudden hearing the music go off. But uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I think one thing Chris did that I really like a lot is he kind of increased the frequency of cross team lean coffees to kind of fill in the gap for that uh, water cooler chit chat talk yeah, that would happen, you know, <laughs> where like I, I'm over at the microwave heating up my lunch and, you know, you know, a friend Chris Jed walks by and I'm like, oh man, I'm struggling with this. And he's like, oh yeah, I was on that project a year ago. Try this. And I'll be like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Come up with us or whatever. Um, and so yeah, what Chris will do, you can want to describe it, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I just randomly shuffling people between teams to have a one hour lean coffee where, 
yeah. one of your items is work related and one is not work related. So, so you just get that. It's a simulation, an online simulation of water cooler chat that may happen. Um, and that's been really effective. And then we do something similar uh, between departments um, focused on work related mainly, but uh, but still involving multiple teams so people can hear each other's stories. So, so um, initially our first experiment with there was just to have like a room in the morning there where everybody could just join and talk. And it, it, it sort of worked, but it wasn't, um, it, it kind of wasn't enforced. And so, so the, the cross team lean coffees is like, you have a meeting invite, it's a, it's an hour long and, um, and you're going to be talking to w one other person from each other product that you're working on. And that's been really effective. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, guys, this has been uh, a lot of fun and really appreciate your your willingness to talk about mob programming alongside Scrum and some of the, the remote things that you've had to do. And and uh, I think it's a it's a great discussion for those even thinking about mob programming. Um, there are going to be some out there who say that we're evangelizing a little too much. Um, and, I, and I want and, and I hope we tempered that a little bit with the idea that, you know, you should have, you know, some kind of framework around the experiment. Right. I think it's totally appropriate to use EBM. So like evidence based management, some kind of, of pre and post value analysis. You know, it sounds like, Chris, you've you've spent a lot of time in the the CFO's office really justifying the practice. And I think that's all that due diligence is correct and appropriate. Yep. And so this is not just an even evangelizing of a practice. It's a, this is a call for an experiment. We think it can run very well within a, a scrum team, but make sure you've got the boundaries and constraints and the goals and the expected outcomes in place so that you can actually measure against that and make sure that the choices that you're making are actually lining up with company needs and expectations and financial goals. All of that due diligence is necessary and important. Uh, and don't forget that. And we think EBM could be a great way to do that too. So, but uh, guys, this was fun. I, I hope we have a chance to sit down and talk some more shop someday. Um, I think the remote nature of your work is, is especially interesting. And I'd imagine a lot of questions are going to come, come in about that. So we might ping you for some follow-up, but I uh, just mm -hmm. want to give you an opportunity, anything you want to promote, anything you want to talk about. I don't know if you have a, a mob programming book yet or, <laughs> or any kind of uh, online resources or anything that you'd like to plug, but uh, now is your time to uh, get anything out there in front of the audience. Well, uh, we do, we do have a podcast called the mod mentality show yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that, that, that one does work. Um, and uh yeah, no, I, you know, just just mob on and and uh, you know try things out and uh, run the experiment and, and all that. Um, yeah. So often, yeah, yeah. And the last couple of things I'll share is um, we do also have a, a Trello board of uh, resources, um, and there's a lot of mobbing resources in there, and uh, so we can share that as well. Um, I will I will highlight Ryan. I, I love what you said there that uh, you know it's it's not utopia, it's not perfection. Everything is not no silver bullet. There are challenges you're going to go into, so it's probably good to do an accusation audit of here are the challenges we're going to run into when we if we try this. Here are the risks and the uh, you know benefits we're shooting for, and I, I think all that's great. And uh, the one last thing I'll say is I'll address the controversial topic of Scrum and uh, mob programming a little bit. Is uh, you know uh, I, I used to be a Scrum master in a very stereotypical Scrum team, and I wore on Halloween, I was super scrum, you know, I had the scrum tattoos, I had all the stuff and uh, I was super into it. And I, what you said, Ryan, and, and it, it, it is what I experienced is that 
the values show up differently in mob programming. Um, they don't show up in the stereotypical way that may be taught in some places, uh, like the very external, uh, you know, meetings or these, these kind of things. They just show up differently. And I, I, I just wanted to uh, sh- shout out that, that that was true in my experience. And in some ways, reintroducing some of those values into a mob programming team helped spur improvements forward. Um, so whether it was a stand-up where the communication was lacking or, you know, uh, something like that, more, more visibility to items and things. So, uh, yeah, that's what, that's what I'll shout out. Very cool. So, Todd, any, uh, any thoughts you can add before we, uh, we call this done? Thanks, guys. Maybe if uh, we ever travel again on the West Coast, I can hop into a mob. Yeah. Austin, I Austin, I hope you don't kill me for this, but uh, he's not lying. <laughs> uh oh, it's out there now. <laughs> Unretractable. Right on, right on. And Todd, you're welcome to mob with us. We have a visitor program, so maybe that's another thing to plug too. We uh, people yeah, come on with us for a half day or full day, and uh, yeah. Uh, we'll maybe uh, oh, how to reach out. So I might, that's a really good point. We're fully remote. We're not going back to the office. We've sweet. we've given up the lease on our building. We're it, it's we're remote all the time now. Um, yeah, I think I also saw. Correct me if I'm wrong on the socials. You've got some kind of recruiting event with Woody Zool coming up. Absolutely, yeah. So we'll send us shoot us a link to that. We'll make sure it's in the show notes. Woody Zool yeah. is another pioneer in this space, and we love Woody. He's great to learn from. Um, and so if you can check that out, I think it's on Eventbrite. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes too, that, uh, you should definitely check that out. It's a, it's an awesome opportunity to, 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 to check out what Austin and Chris are up to work with Woody a bit. And, uh, it looks like a fun event. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Awesome guys. Thank you so much, Todd. You know what time it is. End screen time. End screen time. Be sure to like, and subscribe, click that bell. Check out socials. We're pretty good on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We still don't understand Instagram. Maybe it's my duck lips. I can't quite do the pose. I'm working on it. Uh, Some videos are going to pop up below. The algorithm thinks you'll like them. We do too. So be sure to check out those. In the description, you'll find show notes, links to all sorts of great stuff from Austin and Chris, along with our book, Fixing Your Scrum, Practical Solutions to Common Scrum Problems, and a bunch of other cool stuff. Let us know in the comments your thoughts on mob programming and Scrum. Your comments turn into future shows, so let us know what you think. Uh, For Todd Miller, Austin Chadwick, and Chris Lucian, I'm Ryan Ripley. This has been Mob Programming and Scrum. Who knows what we'll talk about next week, but we'll see you there. Have a great week.